It is the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Thanks for hanging out with us in your Thursday afternoon. Jake Durant from Local 3 TV will be with us shortly, but we start the day talking with Grant Petoni, head hockey coach in Northern Michigan. Coach, as always, appreciate you taking the time. It's been a busy week for you. Yeah, Tanner, it has. We had a recruiting visit, and I was out of town last weekend. Just got back from Florida the week before, so um, lots going on. Well, Coach, your schedule was released yesterday. Some notable non-conference opponents. Michigan State will make a rare trip up here. You go to Boston U for the first time in over 30 years. And St. Cloud State, the top-ranked team in last year's tournament, makes a visit here. What stands out to you from a coach's perspective? Well, I think, um, you know, you, you live and you learn as you go. And, um, you know, the, looking back on the first two years, I... I don't know that we started the first game the way we would have liked, and uh, I think my first year I just chalked it up to add the newness, and and I thought we actually played pretty good. We just uh, the penalty kill let us down that day, and um, and then last year, going into the game, um, I felt like the team we were playing was battle tested, and we hadn't gotten there yet. So um, we're we are going to play an exhibition game this year, and we're going to play the national team. Uh, We're going there. I made a promise to Jimmy Johansson, who was the uh, general manager of USA Hockey. For many years and was a dear friend of mine he passed away um, two two winters ago and um, I promised him that I would bring our team in to play them and um, I wanted to make sure that I kept good on that promise because we were going to play an exhibition game and I thought um, what a great a great opportunity to get ourselves ready against good good players too uh, and then we come back against Michigan State and um, you know you there's two things that stick out to me and, and you talk about the non-conference schedule um, over the last two years we've won more games than everybody in college hockey besides eight teams. And that's a fact. Uh, another fact is we haven't made the tournament. So um, as coaches, you you really sit down and, and you look at uh, what's keeping us out, why can't we get in. Um, you know, and obviously we, we had an opportunity um, to, win the, to win the league a couple of years ago. And, um, and then last year, you know, winning 20 games again, you you kind of you look back and, and 20 wins is a, um, is no small feat in college hockey when you get above that number. So uh, really, what keeps sticking out is um, you know you're you're missing some wins against uh, high quality opponents from leagues that uh, typically have multiple teams in the tournament. Um, doing the schedule, you know you're playing a Big Ten team, a Hockey East team, an NCHC team, and an ECAC team. So you're you kind of go after the top four leagues. And, and you're playing programs that, just like us, are going to expect to win every night. And, um, you know, this year we have two of them in our building. Uh, last year was a little more lopsided. We were on the road more. So uh, hopefully we can make some hay at home. And, um, and to be quite honest, should, should you go uh, even 500? If you can go 500 in your non-conference games and do uh, what we've done within the league the last couple of years, that would put us in the tournament. And um, you're playing tough teams and, and tough environments, and um, you know, like you mentioned, the number one seed in the tournament's coming into into our building. Um, if you could find a way to win some of those games, it really gives you some cushion in the pairwise. And uh, when you put the schedule together for us, that's that was why. Um, besides the fact that our fans are, are excited to see Michigan State here, an old CCHA rival, um, I hope they're excited to see St. Cloud. Uh, that'll be one of the fastest games that uh, we'll play in. You know since I've been been part of the program. I mean, it, it's going to be a track meet. And then having the opportunity to have Boston University in our building the following year on the anniversary of the 91 team, um, hopefully we can have a reunion and get them back. 
Um, I just think those are great opportunities for our community. Yeah, you go to BU for the first time in over 30 years. Obviously, that one's a really special matchup for Northern fans, a rematch of the 91 championship game. Did that all factor into the scheduling of this home-and-home? It did. Um, the coach the coach at Boston University is a friend of mine. Um, you know, we were we kind of grew up in the game a little bit. He, he had been assistant at BU, and I was at uh, Minnesota as an assistant. Um, you end up kind of recruiting some same players, and you end up, you know, forming a little bit of a friendship because um, as much as you're – they shouldn't even say recruiting the same players. You're at the same events recruiting different players. Um, he's recruiting the Eastern kids, and I was recruiting the Western kids. And um, we had talked about, you know, working some scheduling – um, when I got the job at Northern, and uh, just it didn't come to fruition right away, um, and LB got the became the head coach, and um, I, he gave me a call last summer and said, "Hey, you know what? I'd love to get you on the schedule." And I said, "The timing's perfect. We um, and we got the reunion coming up, so um, worked out very well that way." And um, I do think you know it'll be a great experience for our players. Uh, a lot of them probably have never been to the East Coast or to Boston in particular. Um, this would be a great opportunity. Well, Coach, you mentioned recruiting and a couple of rule changes handed down by the NCAA last week. Speak to that if you could, how it affects you and how this affects hockey as a whole. Yeah, um, I have a bit of a unique perspective on it um, because I I worked at a place where there was internal and external pressure to recruit um, younger players. And, um, you know, the thought process behind that is you see – um, you know, a, a Casey Middlestadt or a Nick Bukestad or a Brady Shea or, um, you know, these kids who end up being first-round picks that you see them at 15 or 14 and, you know, they're such dominant players that you're sitting there going, I know this guy's going to be a very good college hockey player. He wants to come to my program. Um, you know, how do I not give this young man this opportunity? Um, and, and those guys are the ones who work out. Um, but the part that gets a little bit sticky and there's some gray areas, there's players you like and, and maybe you don't love. Uh, but, you know, School X is going to offer a kid a scholarship and, you know, you get pushed into whether you're going to be in or out. And um, I think that's the part uh, of the equation that ends up putting stressors on these young men. And, you know, this young man might want to go um, to school Y, but they're not ready to make an offer. Um, he feels pressure to make a decision, so he ends up going to, to school X, and you know, in three or four years, he's not happy where he's going. Um, you know, wants to decommit, uh, do some of these other things. So, um, you know, I think the hope and the, and, the, and the rule was that you could find a way to slow this down a little bit, so that the player doesn't feel pressured. Um, you know, the university uh, can have a little bit of time to get to know this young man at a deeper level. Uh, and find a better fit and you know I when I say my perspective is unique now I'm at a place that we to be honest we don't recruit that age much um, you know we feel very confident and comfortable in the players that we are recruiting from junior hockey or out of high school hockey um, have a little bit more of a track record with them um, you know and it's a hot button topic there's um, uh, there's a lot of people that uh, I do feel or feel strongly one way or the other um, my personal preference is uh, feelings is whatever is right for your own program. Um, you know, and, and I, to me, um, if you feel like you have a, you know, a relationship with, with certain kids and, you know, there's guys that I played college hockey against who have, have sons that are, they're like a year older than my oldest son. 
and they um, they just committed to North Dakota. They grew up in Grand Forks. Their dads played on the team. They've been cheering for the team for their whole life. Um, they want to go there, and the university wants them. You know, I, I just I don't know that there's any shame or harm in that. Um, so I, I, my perspective is, is probably more vanilla on it, or my, my opinion is vanilla on it, because I, I think if, if young men want to do that, um, and that was within the rules, it, that would, that's fine. Um, but saying that, um, I, I reference the fact that I have a son that's that age, and there's two or three kids that are his age that have committed to schools uh, across the country. And um, just seeing him, um, you know, mature as a young person um, from what he's matured from, from last year, this year to to where he might be next year, the following two years. um, I do think um, in in instances where maybe there isn't an an absolute natural place for that young man to go, um, you know, it it gives that that player an opportunity to, to go through it and um, really kind of figure out who he is as a, as a person, uh, whether he wants to stay at home and, and play for his hometown team or he wants to, um, you know, go play in a, a different place or a different league. I think that that part of it's very healthy. And um, I'm really interested to see where it goes because there's, there's, um, there's programs that um, are competing with Canadian junior hockey. And that's, that's the biggest reason that people went to recruiting young players because if you don't recruit them at a certain age, there's Canadian junior leagues that are um, they without rules. So they are at their homes, they're at their games, um, they're able to meet with their parents and um, give give these young men a lot of attention. And, and all of a sudden, if if they do decide to go to the Ontario Hockey League or the Western Hockey League, um, now they can't play college hockey. So you know that was that was the goal uh, to try keep those kids in college hockey and. Um, you know, some, some hot areas that are losing players in kind of in the West Coast and uh, Detroit area players and uh, maybe some players from uh, the Northeast that get a pull of the Quebec League. So um, that part of it's going to be interesting to see how that affects the programs that um, do a lot of recruiting in that area. Well, Coach, looking at the official wording from the NCAA, eliminating all recruiting conversations, whether initiated by the coach or the prospect, prior to January 1st of the prospect's sophomore year. What does the NCAA define as conversation? The only contact that uh, we're allowed to have is um, to talk to young men about coming to your camp. And if you, if you put a, a camp or a clinic on, you're allowed to, to, to speak only to that camp or clinic. When they're on your campus, you're not allowed to give them a tour. Um, you're not allowed to uh, leave tickets. Um, you know, that was a, that's a, a big thing that, you know, if, uh, if you think a player's a, um, get a chance to be, be a good player and he wants to come to your game on Friday, you were able to leave a ticket for him and, and one for his parents. Now, though, you can't even do that anymore because that would be, those are considered unofficial visits. So, um, essentially, until the player reaches January 1 of his sophomore year, you cannot even speak with him, even if he calls your phone. Uh, you have to excuse yourself and, and, and apologize and say, I, I'm not able to have this conversation with you at this time. Um, and then once January 1 happens, you can have conversations with players, um, but you cannot have them on your campus and can, you cannot offer them any scholarships until August of uh, 1st of their junior season. So the next year, 
coming up, then you can bring them on campus and um, and offer them a scholarship and show them around. So um, really, you know, just just for reference, um, I mentioned there's players that are the same age as my son. Um, he's in seventh grade, and he, like that means you know those players wouldn't have been able, that happened. You know, maybe these players are in eighth grade that are um, kind of the same birth year, but. Um, they wouldn't be able to talk to these schools or receive a scholarship for three more seasons. So there was a little bit of a rush at the end by some programs to get some kids um, committed because of the danger that they feel that they're you know, not able to talk to these players or, or recruit them and, and they might lose them. Coach, last thing before I let you go, we now have the final four set in the NHL. Who is going to hoist the Stanley Cup this year? Well, uh, we do a little thing in our house every year. Um, Winner gets 20 bucks. Mm. So uh, last year uh, I had Washington, and somehow I had to figure out how to give somebody 20 bucks. So this year we get, uh, I had to, you know, okay, who's second? Here you go. Not that anybody is a czar and you know what's going to happen. Um, but this year I picked Boston in our first bracket. So, you know, everybody else in my house had Tampa and, you know, or Vegas or whoever. So we redid the brackets after the first round in that second chance bracket, and um, I chose Boston again. So I do think uh, I'm going to stick with my Bruins pick. Um, I think it is going to end up being Boston and San Jose in the final, um, and I think Boston's going to win because they have a better goaltender. At the end of the day, the team, if they're evenly matched with the better goalie, is going to win. Brad Batoni is the head hockey coach at Northern Michigan University. Always good talking to you, Coach. We look forward to having you on again here soon. Thanks, Tanner. Let's take a timeout. Jake Durant from Local 3 joins me next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you, joined by Jake Durant from Local 3 TV. Thanks for waiting, my man. How you doing? Doing good, man. I'm, I'm very excited for enemy hockey after hearing that interview. Hey, they got a lot to look forward Lots to. Lots to look forward to. A lot of big games. You know, the, the program's definitely headed in the right direction. And, and it's just been exciting to see as, as Grant got the head coaching gig, just how he's pushing that program forward. And I'm just excited to see where it goes. Well, I tell you what, we've got more hockey to break down later on in the show. The Stanley Cup Final Four has been determined. You heard Coach give his prediction. Boston over the Sharks. Your Sharks are still alive. They, they that's, that's somehow my take, got man. They, they hung on last they're, night. They're hanging in there. They're hanging in there. Uh, an, another gritty win there for San Jose. I just cannot watch another Boston team win a championship. <laughs> Please, somebody knock this team off. We saw the Celtics go down last night. Yep. It was really it was it was bittersweet. But you know, Milwaukee's definitely got that momentum going in the right direction. But like, no more Boston teams. New England. I'm sorry, you guys. You have, you've had enough. You guys are good for 100 years. Thank you. We asked the followers on Twitter who they believe is going to win the Stanley Cup this year. 39% say the Blues. I don't know if the Blues have a real shot at it. I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily bet on them, mm-hmm. but I'm on the Blues bandwagon the rest of the way. I'm hoping the Blues do it. Yeah, they're one of those teams. You know, They, they got a nice story, underdogs. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even know. You know, they kind of snuck in a little, you know, had a strong second half of the mm-hmm. season and snuck into the postseason. They're just one of those teams, man, that you ride that wave of momentum, you get those, you know, that chemistry going, and, and you get on, on 
track, and that that team's just playing really well. And that was a that was a gritty game seven win by them. Like mid November, they were one of the worst teams in all of hockey. Right, they get a new coach, they get a new goalie, and look at them now. Mm-hmm. Just you know, plug and play players. I think like their last forty something games, they went thirty and fifteen and mm-hmm. five or something like that. And you know, that's that's crazy. That's a great turnaround and, and some good moves by that coaching staff. Well, I tell you what, sixty. 60- Something percent, about two-thirds of the audience think that the champion will come out of the Western Conference. The Sharks got 27%, so 39 for the Blues, 27 for the Sharks. Then 19% said the Bruins, 15 said the Hurricanes. I do think Boston is going to win in the Eastern Conference. I hope St. Louis wins in the West. I don't know what to think about that one yet. But I tell you what, Boston's the best Mm -hmm. team left in this. It's hard for me to pick against them. I'm not going to make a pick yet. I'll wait a little bit. I'm going to still stick with my San Jose pick, obviously, but Boston's goaltending has been unbelievable, um, and I don't see why that should change. Um, obviously, the Hurricanes have had a, a nice run, but you got you know Boston's experience, man. They've they've done it before, and they've got players that have been through it, and and that's going to ultimately, I think, going to you know be the difference maker in the series i think boston's gonna win in five or six well i tell you what we'll get a little more in depth on the nhl coming up we jump into basketball by the way do you know it's a special holiday called lost sock day no i didn't lost sock day is today and i thought that was weird when i saw it because i have three socks sitting on my dresser right now i did laundry last night cannot find the other one for three of them it's a it's a great mystery when you when you put an even amount of socks in the the washer and dryer mm-hmm. and and then you come out with some singles and and me i like a lot of different types of socks different you know mm-hmm. um logos and things yeah. and and you know i like goofy socks so you know you can't can't really mismatch those type of socks so i need i need a matches i'm one of those guys that need my socks matching well i tell you what it was a tough night for the boston celtics last night milwaukee moves on with a 116 91 win they win that series 4-1. to one. Milwaukee in the Eastern Conference Finals for the first time since 2001. Giannis led the way, 20 points. There were seven bucks in double figures. They took advantage of a poor shooting night from Boston. How about this? 7 of 39 from behind the arc. 39 threes is one thing, and only make seven of them with the shooters they have on that team. That's a whole nother. But I tell you what, Milwaukee looks like, if, if there's any team that can win it from the East, can win the whole thing, it's Milwaukee. I'm confident in them and their ability, whether Durant is in the playoffs or not. We'll get to that here in a few minutes. But Boston is kind of a mess right now. They're in a similar boat to the 76ers, maybe even a little better off if the Sixers end up losing their series against Toronto. I tell you what, I'm a big believer in leaving things in a better place than when I found it. Now, I'll give you an example I went to a small Division three college in northwestern Iowa, about 950 students, and for a long time, the basketball program there was very successful. Had a, uh, one coach there that brought it up from a real struggling program to a powerhouse for over two decades, and he ended up taking a new job as I was graduating. So this past year, my first year out of college, they brought in a new coach. He won a junior college national championship a couple of years ago. The team had one of their worst seasons in a long time. They were well below 500, missed the conference tournament for the first time in school history, and the coach, just a few days later, takes a different job at a different school. So he goes on Twitter, and I'd never met him. I don't know what he's like, but he starts tweeting about tips for taking over a program, like how uh, you know holding people accountable, being the best versions of themselves. You know, it got kind of annoying, even though I... I'm out of school and everything, and one of the former players and you know, called him a hypocrite, said, if you want to really build a program, 
don't leave after one bad year or run a former successful one in the ground. My point is, he didn't leave that program in a better place than he found it. And Kyrie Irving's about to do the same thing to Boston. Right, and, you know, very disappointing series for, obviously, the Celtics in the preseason. They were already, you know, being named the Eastern Conference champions of of this year. And it's really hard to argue against that because, obviously, they were returning two All-Stars that were injured after making a run to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, I mean, it's all about chemistry. You talk about, you know, your, your old school and when a new coach comes in, um, it's not going to click right away. It's going to take time. You can't just, you know, have coaches shuffling in and out and things like that, players coming in. Um, a little bit different because it was obviously the coach leaving. But when it comes to Boston, I mean, Kyrie Irving coming back was supposed to be the leader. He left Cleveland because he wanted to be that guy. And I think, you know, the grass isn't always greener. I think he realized that, um, you know, last year the the Celtics were playing without any pressure, that no expectations, a lot of young guys stepping up, exceeding their expectations. You know, it was fun. It was fun to watch the team. I saw them live. You know, they were balling out the gym. Jalen Brown was, was killing it. Jason Tatum looking like an all-star, um, you know, future, you know, superstar in the league. It, it was It was great. Um, but then that pressure came. That pressure came of being the team with the target on their backs. They got the, the players back. And, and sometimes, you know, you look at paper, you can have the best team on paper. But if the chemistry's not there, if the personalities don't mesh, if there's the hierarchy's not no, not known between the players and, and, you know, people aren't happy, that energy's going to manifest and, and it's going to implode at some point in the season. And that's exactly what happened to Boston. Um, Kyrie Irving didn't help at all when he's talking in the media throughout the season, taking subtle jabs at players and things like this. And, and um, you know, I just think mentally he was checked out by the All-Star break. I just think, you know, even when the team had an opportunity to, to obviously make it to the Eastern Conference um, playoffs and make a run, I just don't think it was there. I don't think he was having fun. I don't think any of those players were having fun. And uh, sometimes, you know, you can get better by, uh, you know, addition by subtraction. And I think this is going to be the case. I think Brad Stevens needs to just kind of reevaluate some things. I think Kyrie's definitely gone, um, and you know it's it's hard to, to say it, but I think last year's version of the Celtics, you know, was was just a better team overall. Yeah, this year had more more uh, talent, but I mean it was just a classic thing of you know sometimes that doesn't translate to wins, and uh, I, I think it was probably the worst playoff series loss in Boston Celtics history, and I think they kind of need to take a few steps back to take a few steps forward. Um, I, I do think Brad Stevens is a good coach. I just think, you know, there was just, it was just, the chemistry wasn't right. And you see that a lot in the NBA. And, and they ran up up against a Milwaukee team who I feel has a really good shot to beat Golden State if that's what happens in in the uh, NBA Finals because, you know, their their depth is there. <clears throat> they obviously have Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's a very unique player. You know, his physical attributes, you know, you never really seen before. Um, and, he, and when he's aggressive, no one can stop him. But it's also the, the role players. It's three-point shooters. It's it's Eric Bledsoe. It's it's George Hill stepping up. Pat Connaughton and guys like that stepping up and and you know coming up big in big moments. I think if they can play this team basketball they've been playing, led by Giannis, no one can really stop him. So I mean, it doesn't surprise me they lost that Boston loss. It's just how they lost. Shooting 31%. No one really giving good effort. And Kyrie's body language was you know like we were talking earlier. 
His foot was halfway out the door already mentally. I don't think none of those players thought they could win that game last night. It was another bad game for Kyrie. 15 points on 6 of 21 shooting. So we're assuming that this is it for Kyrie Irving in Boston. Maybe it is for Terry Rozier too because he said that he just wants a fresh start, whether that's in Boston or somewhere else. He thought head coach Brad Stevens had way too many personalities to juggle with and certainly he wasn't coaching with the same edge that he had last year. I do think Boston needs and Alpha if they want to contend. Last year's team was great. You know, they had team chemistry, they had a lot of good players, but they didn't have an Alpha. And I tell you what, they are going to need one of those as good as they were last year to make a real run. They will need one. But we learn that's not Kyrie Irving. He's a top-tier player. He's an NBA All-Star, but he's never going to be a 1A for a team. He's never going to be that option. He could be a 1B mm-hmm. like he was with LeBron with the Cavaliers, but you need to bring in a guy who's going to be a real 1A, which makes me think that Kyrie's not going to New York this offseason. I mean, he, he wasn't happy in Boston. you think he'd be any happier in New York? The only way he would is if Kevin Durant goes there. I don't think Kevin Durant is going there either. I don't think New York gets either of them. You know, they'd probably get Zion, and that's about it. But if Durant and Kyrie were able to team up somewhere, that's the type of 1A, 1B alpha combination you need. Kyrie is your number one option just isn't going to do it. That's mm-hmm. what this whole experiment with Boston proved over the last couple of years. And now you've got to start asking yourself some questions. Remember a few years ago when this whole trade went down that sent Kyrie to Boston? Jake Crowder and Isaiah Thomas were both playing well for Boston at the time. They go to Cleveland, and now none of them are with those respective teams. For a while, it looked like Boston clearly won that trade. I don't even know if there is a winner in that anymore. Right, and when the trade went down, I thought... You know, Boston, Danny Ainge and company were just killing the franchise game. You want to talk about, you know, video game type of things happening where they're accumulating picks, getting players. Um, The cap space was crazy. You know, they had a great future. But I think for Boston, I think, you know, bringing in a guy like Anthony Davis would be huge. Um, You know, secures that spot down low and in the paint. Then you got Brown and Tatum. Uh, I I don't think you need a superstar point guard. I think you just need a guy that can get his when he wants and and is a a willing passer. When they had Marcus Smart and Terry Rozier doing that um, last year, they were very successful and then letting those wing guys play play freely. And um, so I think, yeah, I I do agree. Like they, they do need an alpha. I think Anthony Davis would be a good pickup there. It's fifty-fifty. I think, or I think Durant could go to New York with Zion if they get the number one pick. I think that'd be great. But we could see Kyrie moving to the West Coast, maybe teaming back up with LeBron. How would that? No. You know, you don't think he would ever do nope. that, or going to the Clippers? Uh, he might, and, but I don't think he'll go with LeBron right now. You don't think so? No. Or going to the Clippers and. Um, you know, maybe bringing in a guy like Durant down there or uh, Kawhi Leonard. I think that would be a good good matchup. About Kyrie, but. Durant, and Kawhi to the Clippers is the new big three. I mean, if they could somehow make that work, that'd be crazy. That would be insane, though, because that in inner L.A. rivalry with the Clippers and Lakers, LeBron, that would be a bad look for LeBron. That even I mean, be at this point, at this point for the Lakers, it's almost like, should we just trade LeBron? I know it's crazy, but you know, you guys are so far from it. You got what four years now? Three years with LeBron left. Do you think he's going to resign any even at the later end of his mm-hmm. career? I don't think so. I think you, you cut bait, and that was just a failed attempt. It's it's hard to see anyone trading LeBron, but you can get a couple first round picks. I'm I'm guessing for him and 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 set up your future. But um, NBA free agency is always insane. There's always going to be some moves that we aren't aren't expecting, and that's what makes the league so great. But yeah, I would love to see uh, three guys like that in a huge market like the Clippers. It'd be exciting. 
I think that's more likely to happen than anyone going to New York or to the Lakers. But I tell you what, it's amazing to think that the Lakers could have had a big three of their own this year. Could have had LeBron, Kawhi, Paul George. And somebody there thought that, no, we got to keep this young group together. Like, Lonzo Ball is good. They think Brandon Ingram and KCP are good. That was the amazing thing to me. You hit on something, though, that was really good that I wanted to touch on before we go to break, and that is that you don't need your alpha to be a point guard. It's kind of like the Milwaukee example. Their alpha plays the four. And if the Celtics do get Anthony Davis, could he be that 1A? And if he does, does Kyrie want to stay and be the one? Because he plays the 1B role maybe better than anybody in the NBA. He's not the 1A. Could Anthony Davis do it? Because we know he's a top-tier talent, but if the Celtics are thinking championship, if they're thinking playoff runs, that's something Anthony Davis, as a top option, has never really done very well. And I know that there's a huge talent gap between Boston and the Pelican teams Anthony Davis has had, but he hasn't proved that he can be uh, the alpha for a playoff team. Would he do that in Boston? I mean, anytime, you know, there was a few years where Anthony Davis in New Orleans had a decent supporting cast. Um, I'm pretty sure they swept Portland um, just a few years ago, and Anthony Davis was balling out. Um, I do think he has the the game. I think he has the talent. I think he's a superstar to lead a team. Um, I, I mean, if he went to Boston, that's the best supporting cast he's ever mm-hmm. had. Um, so it would be interesting to see if he could do that. I do feel like he could do that. And then, you know, you got to surround him with some shooters, and then you obviously got the athletic guards um, in Tatum and Brown, and then you just get, you get you know, whoever that may be at the point guard to just kind of be a, a game manager and then keep your depth. I think I think that would be great. I, I do think that would be a perfect fit for Anthony Davis if he was, you know, planning on going anywhere. I think that should be his number one option um, in the Boston Celtics. Got about 30 seconds for the break. If they do land Anthony Davis, does Kyrie stay? I don't think Kyrie's staying. No, I think he's gone, man. I don't. I, I, they were saying on ESPN yesterday. I think that his teammates are helping him pack his bags. I think he's out. I think he's trying to do something else next season. Danner Hoops, Jake Durant, with you in the sports pen. We hit the bottom of the hour. When we come back, maybe the best player in the game right now, no longer in the playoffs, and that's next in the sports pen on ESPN UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Danner Hoops, Jake Durant with you. Here's your Sports Center update. Yesterday, Joey Gallo became the first player in Major League history to hit 100 career home runs before he got to 100 singles. New Orleans Saints tight end Benjamin Watson is coming out of retirement. Guess who he's visiting? The New England Patriots, who are suddenly minus a tight end and just what they need, another all-pro caliber tight end. And finally, presidential candidate Beto O'Rourke is coming under fire from Iowans after tweeting a picture of him eating a slice of pizza, claiming it to be Casey's Pizza. It wasn't Casey's Pizza, and you probably don't know about this. I was going to say, I was on Twitter, I think it was Twitter yesterday, Mm -hmm. and I saw this, this article or whatever, and... Um, I think Ryan Steig had posted something mm-hmm. that you didn't agree with. What was that all about? He is coming on air tomorrow, and he is going to hear about it because he insulted Casey's Pizza. And if you've ever met anybody from Iowa, that's one of the worst things you can say to somebody. You know, there's a gas station fairly centered to Iowa. Uh, you got a few in some other neighboring states, what have you, but it's mostly an Iowa thing. And I swear, they make the best pizza. They just, they have a flat out amazing pizza. It's a gas station, but really? they have great pizza. And it's a total Iowa thing. 
I've only heard one other person say they don't like it, and she wasn't even from Iowa. She had moved there. Mm-hmm. But you don't insult that, you know, to to an Iowan? That's big. And then Beto O'Rourke is visiting Iowa, and he just lost the Iowa vote because he pretends that he's eating Casey's and the pitcher is clearly not Casey's Pizza. It's a big deal to Iowans. That just, I mean, how do you think just posting a random photo of you eating random, you know, someone's going to link that yeah. on, on the Internet, especially if you're from Iowa. You can't mess with people's food, man. You, you, you know, joke around with the food. Yeah, it could be huge. Yeah, people take that stuff serious. And unfortunately, that was that's a huge mistake on his part. It's like saying um, you hate a pasty times a thousand. Right. You can't do that. You and I don't hate pasties, for the record. It's, it's hard to hate them. You know, they're, they're really simple um, things, meat, potatoes, etc. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I would be interested to try the, the, the Casey's pizza and, and, um, you know, you can't, you can't mess with people's like sacred food things. Every place has them. You know, if you don't like it, you'd be like, eh, it's just not my thing. Just don't insult it. Yeah. Don't lie, Beto. <laughs> exactly. Come on. I mean, we know that's not Casey's. Right, man. I, I was, I mean, what, what was he trying to get out of that? I don't know. The Iowa vote. Was he was he not even in Iowa when he was eating this pizza? Was I it just couldn't like more, tell. You know, maybe he was in New York and he was like, "Let's just say we're there." I don't know. I tell you what, uh, there are a lot of things I miss about Iowa, and Casey's Pizza is way up there <laughs> near the top of the list. Tell you what, the Warriors took a three-two series lead with a one hundred four ninety-nine win over the Rockets last night. James Harden, a game high thirty-one points, came in a losing effort. But the big story: Kevin Durant left the game with a calf strain. He will miss the remainder of this series. I think Houston's going to win game six, but Golden State's going to take it in seven. I think both are going to defend the home floor. We are going to see a really interesting dynamic from this Warrior team because they have got all caliber players that know how to win without Kevin Durant. Heck, they won 73 games a couple of years ago without him. And Klay Thompson stepped up big last night once he got hurt with 27 points. This is not a team that is necessarily better without Durant. I mean, he's too good to say that a team's better without him. But you have capable guys to step up that they are going to be just fine. They should still be confident they can win an NBA championship. I don't know if, you know, I don't know how much it affects, to be honest with you. It affects their chances at a championship without Kevin Durant because I think they can win it without him. Steph Curry, he's going through somewhat of a slump right now, you know, by his standards. He has shot sub 30% from behind the arc in each of the last five games, the longest streak of his career that's almost 800 games. He's just due. He's going to take up some of that load for Kevin Durant. He's due to go off, especially now. This Warrior team is going to be just fine. Right. When you know when Durant went out, a lot of people might have thought, okay, here is you know Houston's chance. Um, and to be honest with you, Houston hasn't really been even playing that well. I think mm-hmm. James Harden, he's been up and down. CP3 has just looked you know a shell of himself. I don't mm-hmm. know really what what's going on with him. Maybe it's just age or or whatnot. Um, but it's really been, you know, some of their supporting players that kept them in some of these games. Um, you know, this is the best shot of any. You know, maybe we could see CP3 and James Harden uh, smell blood a little bit and turn things on game six, do what they have to do, and then you you never know what can happen in game seven. But I'm kind of with you. People forget, man, Steph Curry, back-to-back MVP. They won a couple championships without Durant um, when he was the the main guy. And um, now Durant came over. Steph Curry kind of had to take a back seat. You know, wasn't ex- getting as many shots. He wasn't involved in the offense as much. The offense didn't really surround, revolve around him as much. But it, you know, as soon as Durant went out, you kind of saw that flip, that switch flip. You know what I mean? And and you saw, you know, Steph Curry kind of 
relish that role again of being that main guy, a guy they, they counted on for the scoring and, and the guy who was hitting the threes and Clay Thompson again, um, you know, he was hot in, in the beginning, kind of cooled down, but he did his thing. And um, it's crazy to think that a team could lose a caliber, maybe the best player in the game and, and still, you know, not lose that much. You know, any other team, if Durant went out, there goes their playoff mm-hmm. chances. It's over. With Golden State, you're almost like, okay, we're just going to see version, you know, 1.0, not 2.0. We're going to go back to the old version. Still a great team. Still a team that can win it all. It's just going to be without without Durant for a little while. And I, I do agree with you. You know, I think Houston will win game six. I think game seven will be closer, obviously, now that Durant's gone. Mm-hmm. Could could Houston sneak out game seven? Eh, I don't know. Maybe. They got to get there they first. Got, they they, got, they got, are expected true. to. They... The first odds that Vegas has put out, the Warriors are heavy underdogs. It is the largest that they've been underdogs in the Steve Kerr era, which makes sense to me. I wouldn't be shocked if they lose Game 6. I would be shocked if they lose Game 7. Warriors are going to be just fine. And and does does Curry, do do Curry and Thompson and, and company want to maybe prove a point right now with mm-hmm. Durant not in obviously all season Durant's been hinting and and basically saying he's he's out next season um maybe they want to prove a point saying hey you know obviously he's helped us win a couple championships and whatnot but you know we don't really need him you know he came here because he wanted to win a championship we were fine without him and yeah we we agreed to have him come aboard and and ride this wave that we're, we're riding right now but to be honest with you we're doing him a favor you know he came to our thing that we already had kind of kind of rolling already we're still going to be the warriors i'm still great if i'm steph curry clay thompson and he wants the max deal you know they still have a decent supporting cast yeah their depth depth on the bench isn't as great as it used to be back in the past but um you know when you have two of the best shooters in the game and shooting is everything right now in the nba it's really hard to, to think that they would lose the series um, but it opens up the door. I think it opens up the door for Milwaukee. Milwaukee, mm-hmm. obviously, they still got the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't want to jump the gun too much because, you know, Toronto is a team that could could do some damage. But, I mean, if they made it to to the um, to the finals and say that was a lingering I- issue for Durant and he's in and out of the lineup, I mean, Milwaukee has a good shot. I mean, if, if Milwaukee could do it, this would be the year. I mean, they got the momentum right now. They got a great team. Brogdon's coming back. It would. I really want to see a Milwaukee Warriors finals. I think that would be a good finals. I'd like to see it with Kevin Durant. Either way, I think Milwaukee should feel confident if that is indeed the draw. I tell you what, a couple of game sixes tonight. I think both of these will be the final game in the respective series. The Raptors visit the 76ers. Toronto leads the series three games to two. I think Toronto wins. Pascal Siakam, my favorite player in this series, one of my new favorite players in all of basketball, is probable for tonight's game after suffering a minor injury. This is a team that has shifted their identity, this Raptors team is. Nick Nurse, uh, native Iowan, is their head coach, is uh, they've shifted their identity whenever they've needed to. It's not that they don't have an identity, it's that they know how to morph and adjust themselves to whoever they're playing, to be a bad matchup for whoever they're up against. Maybe they're looking for a little more consistency, but they do a good job at changing the identity of that team in season. They've done it so many times this year, but it just seems to me like they found a recipe for beating the 76er team, especially when you don't know what you're going to get out of Joel Embiid night in and night out. I just don't see Philadelphia winning it, and nobody seems to be with me on this. But if Philly loses, especially tonight, if they don't make the conference finals, their season's a bigger failure than Boston's. It really is because you went all in to try and get this team to the NBA Finals, at least the conference finals. 
your, your number two option, I don't trust him. I don't trust Ben Simmons. I mean, you're the primary ball handler, and you can't shoot from the outside. You're a glorified number four. Mm-hmm. You don't know if you're going to get Tobias Harris or Jimmy Butler back next year, one or the other, or even both of them. And who knows what Joel Embiid is going to be like if he has these lingering health problems going forward. Right. Um, you know, uh, to your point where it would be a bigger failure, personally, I think Boston, I, I expected Boston to come out of the East this year. So to me, you know, I didn't really expect, I, obviously I knew Philly was going to be a good team, but I just knew they didn't have enough shooters. Um, you know, there's tempers, Embiid's a goofy guy. He's all over the place. I don't know, I don't, never could really trust him um, for a whole season. And, he, and he's had injury problems in the past. So, you know, I knew Philly was a team that could, could arguably, you know, make it be, be competitive in the East. I just never thought they would come out of the East. I think Philly's going to win tonight. I think uh, Embiid's going to play motivated after kind of getting embarrassed and mocked and, and things there in Toronto. Drake was on the on the sidelines, you know, flapping his wings and things like that at him. And any time, you know, you kind of, I don't know, poke poke the bear, Embiid's delivered. Um, man, Ben Simmons, I, he, coming into the season, I, I thought this you were going to see a, a great, uh, you know, jump for Ben Simmons and things like that. But just his shooting woes. He, mm-hmm. This guy cannot shoot. Not even close. No. You know what I mean? And he's kind of a one-trick pony once you figure it out. But think if he could. The Sixers team could be right. an NBA favorite. Right. And I never was a fan of Jimmy Butler, to be completely honest with you. I thought he was overrated. Um, never really liked his attitude. You know, when you talk about chemistry, you saw these guys all together. I was like, there is no way this is working <laughs> at all. Um, and then, like you said, Toronto's done a good job with just kind of having several forms. They can really play with anybody, play any type of basketball. And Kawhi Leonard has shown, again, I think people kind of forgot who Kawhi Leonard was after him missing so much time. Yeah. Um, you know, even I did. I was like, is this guy really even that good? I don't really know. And then he goes to Toronto, and, and he's doing what he does. He's a, he's a special talent, only getting better. Um, you know, the thing with him is his game is getting better. I don't see that with a Ben Simmons mm-hmm. yet. You know, I don't see him kind of putting up the shots, you know, working on his shots or anything like that on a shot. So I, I think Philly's going to win tonight, push it to, uh, to head back to Toronto. I, I really want to see Portland win. I do like I like Lillard and McCollum. Denver's a good team, you know. Mm-hmm. They have a, they have a, they have a solid team um, that can maybe give give the Warriors or the Rockets a fit in the finals in the Western but conference. But um, yeah, I, I I think I think maybe Denver finishes it tonight. I think Philly wins. Before we go to Denver and Portland, and then before we go to break, here's why I do think Boston was less of a failure than Philadelphia. If indeed the Sixers fail to make it past Toronto. Boston's still going to be good next year. They have a better front office. I would take Danny Ainge over Elton Brand. And you know that Ainge is going to get the pieces in place that Boston should be an Eastern Conference favorite again next year. Philly is stagnant. They're going to probably going to retract from this year's team. I don't know that they're going to be able to put together a better team than they've had this season. I don't think they're going to get it done in the offseason. Boston, to me, still has a lot of reason to be optimistic going into next year. Again, like you said, addition by subtraction, Philly doesn't have that. That's why I think this is a bigger failure for Philadelphia than it would be for Boston. And you mentioned the Nuggets and the Blazers. I do think Denver closes this one out tonight. I agree with you. They're up in the series 3-2. Portland has never rallied from a 3-2 deficit in the NBA playoffs. I tell you what, the Joker has just dominated Enos Cantor in the post. Last game, 25 points, 19 rebounds. Cantor, 9 points on 2 of 9 shooting. Part of that they're speculating is because it's Ramadan right now and Cantor has 
been observing Ramana not eating from sunrise until sunset. Uh, rumor has it that someone's going to bring him a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on the bench tonight. I'm going to watch out for that. But I don't know if that has anything to do with you know his performance, but he has not been good in this series, and he just flat out has to be against the Joker. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I don't know too much about the practice of 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 that or anything like that, but um, you know, if you're not eating as an athlete, it can't be good. No. I mean, energy levels have to, especially if you're throughout the year doing a, having a certain. Most athletes have a certain you know, uh, a certain thing they like to do, you know, a certain pattern they like to keep when it comes to like eating and 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 putting in food in your body. So. Obviously, when you're not eating, or that's a dramatic change, it's gonna it's gonna mess you up. He's also been nursing a shoulder injury and things like that. Um, I do think the Joker's definitely a better player, um, but yeah, I do think you know that's definitely a difference maker. Look out for that peanut butter and jelly. I might just tune in just to see. Yeah, it. <laughs> I tell you what, if Portland does somehow come back, I think they're a better matchup for Golden State. If Denver is who's on the other side, no chance. Golden State's gonna roll them. And before we go to break. Uh, negotiations did break down between Ty Lue and the Lakers. It's a little bit insulting, is it not? I mean, everyone knows he's not a great coach, but they wanted to give him a contract the same length as LeBron's. You know, they're really telling him, we know that you didn't, you don't have any merit. We saw what happened in Cleveland. So, you know, we know your success is tied to LeBron. We're going to keep you as long as he is. I will say this. I think the Lakers are going to, I don't, I don't, I just don't want to say come to their senses because Ty Lue's not a great hire, but I do think that they're going to end up picking Ty Lue and they're going to offer him just a five-year deal. Yeah, and that I mean that just to me shows that LeBron's the coach of the team. <laughs> um, Ty Lue, you know, he kind of just listened to LeBron. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's be honest. Could Ty Lue go to a team with you know not as good players and and be a good coach? I don't I don't know. No? I don't think I don't think he is. Um, a lot of players, or a lot of coaches have made a career off LeBron. You know, just being there and kind of being his like yes man. So. Um, obviously, the Lakers know that LeBron does does his best work when he's basically the coach of the team, and uh, you know that's definitely Tyron Lue has shown that he can be that guy. So um, I don't I don't know. There's just something. There's just some bad energy with the LA Lakers. I don't know what's going on there. I think they're far far away from doing anything. I'm surprised LeBron even wants to be there. I don't. I wouldn't be surprised if LeBron demands a trade. You know, in the mm-hmm. next few seasons because I just don't see. I don't see it turning around. They're frustrated at each other, both him and the Lakers. You know, they're upset with each other. You can't find a coach. You can't find a supporting cast. You and want how to go there. bad it's is ridiculous. that is for management that you're going to offer the coach the length of his contract is determined on the length of one of his players' contract? I mean, we all know Ty Lue is not a good coach, but that's insulting. I mean, that's you can't do that. Right. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the Lakers, that's all they do is offer all the players. When LeBron's done, this is done. When LeBron's done, this is done. Like, it's over. <laughs> I do think Ty Lue is their man, and they're eventually going to do the right thing, I guess, and offer him a five-year deal. We owe you a timeout. NHL, we have the final four set for you. Plus, I feel bad for whoever is in charge of public relations for the Cubs today. Next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. We have got some breaking NFL news to start the segment with. Plus, we have a final from Comerica Park. The Tigers have been over-exceeding expectations this year. Today was not one of those days. They fall to the Angels 13-0, but history was made, and here's your stat of the day. Albert Pujols collected his 2,000th career RBI this afternoon. He becomes the third player in Major League history with at least 3,000 hits, 2,000 RBI, and 600 home runs, joining Hank Aaron 
and Alex Rodriguez in that category. But I tell you what, breaking news out of the NFL, the Seattle Seahawks have released a couple of staples in their franchise. Wide receiver Doug Baldwin and safety Cam Chancellor, both cut by the Seahawks just within this hour. Yeah, I know um, both of those players obviously instrumental in establishing the the championship culture that we've seen Seattle, you know, have in the last decade. Um, with obviously with the Legion of Boom and things like that, um, Doug Baldwin, I think, you know, he's been suffering with with injuries, mm-hmm. you know, hernia injuries, things like that. Obviously, Cam Chancellor, the way he plays, heat seeking missile, he's been dealing with neck injuries and things like that. But um, we've slowly been seeing the kind of new era step in there for Seattle. Um, obviously with Earl Thomas leaving, Marshawn Lynch was gone a few years ago. Um, Richard Sherman's out of there playing uh, at, in San Francisco. I think it's just the the final step to saying you know we have moved on from this era. We're starting a new a new era here, and and you know we want a fresh start. And and obviously those guys are going to be obviously very recognized and and honored by the Seattle Seahawks. But I think it was just time for them to kind of say you know what we got to cut bait got to move forward and and um you know thank you for what you've done and yeah it's just, that's it's sad to see because seattle was one of those th- i not not for me i hated seattle <laughs> as a green Bay packer fan but you know I, all good things must come to an end i'm a little surprised this happened right now though both those guys are in the downswing in their career but they're still good players they could still certainly help somebody i just can't believe seattle is a better team without both of them tell you what those are going to be a couple of free agent steals for whoever snaps them up yeah right i mean i would love camp chancellor to be on my defense um you know he's an enforcer baldwin he's he's been a consistent receiver um, not the biggest guy or anything like that, but I mean, he he knows how to catch the ball. He has great hands. He knows how to get open, um, and it really just comes down to, you know, the injury factor. You know, can these guys still play? You know, are, is this a nagging injury? Is it going to affect them, um, and and kind of, you know, hurt them to to a point where they're not as effective on the field? Um, but yeah, I mean, these two guys. That's a that's a nice defensive player who can add some depth to your the back end of your defense, and a receiver who could, you know, who's obviously a veteran and been through the ringer who could could definitely help you if you're one of those teams that just need one more guy to get you over the hump. I wonder how much this has to do with contract disputes because they just shelled out a lot of money to pay Russell Wilson. I wonder how much the salary cap factored into this. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to say it, they probably did a lot. I mean, when they were successful early early on, they didn't have a huge contract in the books, like a Russell Wilson's contract. You know, they were really doing things with a lot of unknown players. You know, guys with chips on their shoulders, guys who needed to prove something. And I think that's the the way that players Pete Carroll likes. I think he likes to bring in those those uh, diamond in the rough type players, players that not many people have their eyes on, and and kind of transform and coach them up and and um you know make them into stars and i think right now they're kind of doing exactly the opposite of what got them uh, all that success in the first place now they're paying their quarterback they're one of those teams that have to pay their quarterback and find a supporting cast for cheap rather than you know those teams that are have we've seen successful who are playing with a, a quarterback on their rookie deal and able to to bring a supporting cast in um i think that's the way to go man it it sucks because you know, there's a lot of players that you, you know, I don't want to see Green Bay let go of Aaron Rodgers in his mm-hmm. prime, but at the same time, you got to have a supporting cast. And, and a, you know, I'd, I'd go with a team with a, a rookie quarterback with a great supporting cast over, you know, an all pro with no supporting cast at under center. 
Well, we've got the NHL and what happened at Wrigley Field yesterday. we got four minutes to get through both of them, but we're going to do it. The Sharks punched their ticket to the Western Conference Final with a 3-2 win over the Avalanche yesterday. They win that series 4-3. Joe Pavelski, Captain America, after missing the last six games, comes back with a goal and an assist. Thomas Hurdle and Jonas Donskoy also scored for San Jose. First time in franchise history the Sharks have won multiple Game 7s in one postseason. So, I mean, they're raising your blood pressure if you picked them, which Jake did. I did. I but did. But they're you, staying alive. Right. And um, so now they're battle-tested. They're they're entering territory they've never been as as a franchise. And, and why not? Why not take it all the way and, and win a Stanley Cup? I don't see why not. I mean, it seems like the team obviously has some good chemistry and things like that. And, and um, you know, sometimes you, when you win those Game 7s, it's like, is this meant to be? Maybe. It's a rematch of the 2016 Western Conference Finals. Two teams, St. Louis and San Jose, neither have ever won the Cup. They're hungry enough for it. San Jose in 2016 got beat out by Pittsburgh. They are hungry, and they're they're back for it. Game one, Saturday night in San Jose. Tonight, the Eastern Conference Finals start as the Hurricanes visit the Bruins at 8. Boston, 26% of the power play this year. That's exceptional. They are third in all of the NHL. Meanwhile, Carolina just 18%. That is 20th in the NHL. When you look at the penalty kill, Carolina's pretty good. 81%, 8th overall. Boston is 16th, about middle of the road. But here's the thing. Boston has spent more time in the penalty box than 29 other teams in the NHL. So special teams very well could determine the winner in this series. I still think it's Boston because their upside is better. Yeah, I do too. And I just think Boston's goaltending has been on point. Tuka Rusk been doing his thing. Um, I don't see him, why he won't continue it um and i just like their experience man i just like you know i just think they have you know advantages in certain spots and like you said they're really good in the you know when you talk about the penalty and things like that so um you know we could see them possibly rack up a few goals if if carolina gets into some um, trouble when it comes to you know getting penalties i'm saying boston six five or six five i think they could do it in five think so Yeah. yeah wouldn't doubt it Tell you what, uh, the Cubs, their PR team is having a nightmare right now. Yesterday, a fan was on camera. He appeared to be flashing a symbol, a hand gesture, uh, the OK sign pointing downwards that is a symbol of white power. I, I don't know if I knew that. I don't think a lot of people know that. I don't know if it was intentional or not, but it was behind a TV analyst who is African-American, and the fan has been banned from uh, from Wrigley Stadium. That same day... The Cubs reinstate and battled shortstop Addison Russell, who has not played since last fall because of a domestic violence dispute. So I, I don't you know, I don't know what the fans' intentions were. They've looked through his social media and there's nothing that suggests that he's someone who, you know, engages in racist behavior. I don't know what the story was behind it. I think there are some questions, a discussion to be had here. The Cubs did make a statement that the fan has been banned. They are willing to hear his side of the story. Uh, they are not planning anything further regarding this, but they are going to continue to let a guy who beats his wife play shortstop. I just don't like the way the Cubs handled this thing. If the guy was doing a white power symbol, it's not acceptable. But I think there's got to be at least some kind of internal investigation to this. Yeah, did you say it was a, a younger fan who did that? I or? couldn't. I couldn't see his face. You I just saw the face. hand gestures. So I so I know you know there's there's been a game that people play especially younger people where you know you flash that sign and if somebody looks you you get to like punch him in the shoulder it's just like a, a very you know 
innocent game. I don't think there's anything to to do with that. And it's 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 been like an internet trend where like you're taking photos and you just kind of have that sign flashed. Um, you know, I don't think it mean it's meant to be any in any harm or anything. I didn't like even that. know it was a racist um, so, thing. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. I actually, to be honest with you, I've played that game between my friends where you know you're just standing there and you you have the sign, they see it, and you know it's 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 kind of like a made you look type thing. Mm-hmm. So um, you got to be careful though. I mean, in different cultures, things mean different things, and and different signs can mean different things as well. So. Um, Add on the fact that you bring back Russell. I mean, yeah. I mean, it definitely does not look good for for the Cubs. I think it's kind of harsh, especially if the the person didn't mean it in a negative way. I mm-hmm. think from what it sounds like, if he was on camera, I think he probably was just trying to have fun with it, you know, and, and he was kind of doing it for the game. Um, yeah, I think it's just kind of harsh. I think it's harsh for the fan. That is it for us. Out of time. Anything you want to plug quick before we sign off? Go to upmatters.com slash sports. Vote for the Local 3 Sports Award Show on May 30th starting at 730. A lot of players, talented players on there. You can just vote. You can vote once a day. Keep going back. Share it on social media. And I will host the award show on May 30th. We'll reveal the winners. Looking forward to it coming up. We're looking forward to hopefully some better weather around May 30th as well. Please. Appreciate you being here as always. Thanks for having me. That's it for us in the sports pen. For Jake Duran, I'm Tanner Hoops on ESPN-UP WZAM. Ishpeming Marquette.